morning, everybody. That's my boy. <laughs> People have asked who know that Josh is my son, you know, what's it like when uh, he's up there singing for you and for Marilyn? And uh, there aren't words, except I see a six-year-old. <laughs> uh, it's a father thing. Um, and, uh, and I remember when Josh and Matt were little, because it seems like it was just very recently uh, that they were little boys um, and doing all the little boy things, including bedtime. And uh, so we had bedtime routines. Uh, Matt, my younger boy, um, his bedtime thing was he just, he just liked to cuddle. He's, he's kind of a hugger, and so he just kind of liked to cuddle in for a couple minutes, and then he was good to go off to bed. Josh wanted story time. And uh, so we had story time from the time he was, I, I don't really remember ages at this point, so I'm thinking three-ish until he was, you know, 20. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know, eight, uh, seven, I don't know when that, that stopped. But um, very early on in story time, um, I knew if, if this is going to be a long run, I'm going to have to figure out a way to do this um, that keeps me interested and, uh, and him. And so I created um, characters. And so we had um, the central character in the stories was a boy named Willie Wigglepuss. And uh, Willie was kind of an interesting character. He was a little... He had some strange characteristics, unusual things about him, but he was, he was this cool boy. Um, his brother was part of the group and uh, a bunch of other kids, and uh, so it was the adventures of Willie Wigglepuss. And so when Josh was really little, the adventures were little kid adventures, you know, rolling down long grassy hills and going fishing and riding in fire trucks and those kinds of things. But as he got older, to keep him engaged in the stories, the stories got more involved and more complex and, and uh, more out there. Um, Willie Wigglepuss and the guys became spies for the U.S. And um, uh, new characters were introduced. One of my favorites was um, uh, Al, the talking bird. Um, Al flew helicopters. And... Um, so I know it's bizarre, but he was a kid, and I was trying to keep him interested. Um, so every night there would be another Willie Wigglepuss story. What Josh didn't know as a child was that um, I was teaching him through those stories as well. For many of those stories, there was a teaching involved about some important um, character trait or ideal. So it would be things like friendship, or courage, or faith, or honesty. And so woven into these stories was some teaching about something of value. What he also didn't know was that the character Willie Wigglepuss was a way for me to talk to my son about his brother. So for those who don't know my family, uh, my youngest son is Down syndrome. And so uh, Josh and Matt are, are very close in age, 15 months apart. 
And uh, so he's going to be growing up with this special needs brother. And so Willie was kind of a reflection of some of those things about Matt that uh, uh, the, uh, Josh would see and so forth. And how do you deal with, with that um, uh, growing up? So all of that was included in the stories that I would tell uh, Josh each night. And uh, that's the thing about a story, right? Stories are powerful things. We learn a lot through stories. They ignite our imaginations. They, they connect us with people. As we hear the story, we connect with people and we say, that person is like me, or that person is nothing like me, but it gives me some insights into how they view the world and how they relate to, to things and to people. We love stories. We we crave stories. We have stories on printed pages. We have stories on film. We have stories on stages because we love stories. Jesus loved stories. And Jesus not only loved stories, Jesus loved to tell stories. And he was a master storyteller. He was that guy who could tell the most amazing stories, and people would come from all around to hear Jesus tell stories that we call parables. Jesus was a storyteller. We're in the end of this series. We've been in this series. We've been calling He's That Guy for the last five weeks, talking about things that Jesus did that really shook people up. It caused people to uh, think differently, to um, act differently. It challenged people's understanding of God and the kingdom of God and so forth. And so we're looking at things that Jesus did. We're ending that series today. We're beginning a new series next week that we're calling, Wait, What? And this series is about things that Jesus taught. Specifically, things that Jesus taught through parables, through stories. And in the same way that the things that he did shook people up, the things that he taught through the parables shook people up then, and they continued to shake us up today. And so this is kind of a bridge message between those two series. So one of the things that, that we're going to answer, I think, in, at least in part, is why did Jesus use parables? Why did he speak in parables? And in the story this morning, he's going, to, he's going to give us an answer to that. But I think we've already given some answer to that. One, stories are memorable, right? We remember a story. So today, after the message, you may not remember what the message was about. You're going to remember uh, that I used to tell my son stories called Willy Wigglepuss, right? Please don't just remember that. But that's, that's the power of a story, right? We remember it. It, it. it goes with us. So I think he used stories because they're memorable. He used stories because stories make us think different, right? So for all the reasons we just talked about, stories have the power to make us think differently, to see things differently. That's another reason I think Jesus used stories. Jesus used stories to teach us about something that we can't see with our eyes. He wanted to teach us about the kingdom of God. 
Jesus wanted to teach us about the kingdom of God, which is very different than the kingdom of the world. And so he used these stories. Now, when I talk about the kingdom of God, I just want to be clear that I'm not talking about heaven or not just talking about heaven. The kingdom of God includes heaven, but the kingdom of God is active and present on earth as well. In fact, when Jesus was on the planet, he said things like, the kingdom of God is near to you, meaning it's, it's me. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is anywhere where God's will and God's way prevails. Anywhere God's will and God's way prevails is the kingdom of God. And so anywhere that Jesus was, there was the kingdom of God. Jesus also said that the kingdom of God is in you. So as you're walking in faith, as you're trusting in Christ, you are growing in the ways and the will of God. And so the kingdom of God is present and active in you. The kingdom of God. Pastor Steve prayed this morning for two hurting communities in our country. El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio. Where Guys with guns and a grudge and evil intent murdered nearly 30 people, injured so many more. According to the AP, this is the 20th mass murder in our country this year. There's something wrong. And I know that we're going to hear a lot of talk about how we address it. And it's going to be a multifaceted approach. It has to be. It's going to involve laws, and it's going to involve law enforcement, and it's going to involve mental health, addressing issues of mental health. But there are also spiritual components to this. Our country is soul sick. And so if you're wondering, what can I do? What can one person do? What can one small group of people do? We're doing it. By creating a place where people can come and learn about the will and the way of God and to be challenged in that, and encouraged in that, and inspired in that, and directed in that, and living into that, as we are doing that, we in our little corner of the world are making a difference. We are literally bringing in the kingdom of God in this place. So you're making a difference. As we pray together, we're making a difference. As you take your God-given abilities and talents and skills and passions out into the world, you're making a difference. As you're using your voice for the kingdom of God, you are making a difference. So the story this morning 
I'm, I'm, we ought to just say amen to that, don't you think? Amen. The story that Jesus told that I want to share with you this morning is found in, the Math, in Matthew's gospel. It's actually in three of the gospels. In this particular case, it's in Matthew 13. And uh, so Jesus tells the story, and then he answers the question why he tells story, and then he fills in the blank about what the story meant. All right, so these three things I'm going to cover um, in the next 15 minutes. All right, so he starts by telling a story, a parable. All right, and so I'm just going to tell it. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to tell you the story. So Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee, and there's a large crowd that's following him, and so he climbs into a little fishing boat and has it pushed out so it's, you know, out a little ways so that everybody along the shoreline can see him and hear him. And he begins to teach, and he's saying that the kingdom of God is like a farmer. That's one of the things he did with stories, right? He used familiar images to people. So people understood farmers. Kingdom of God is like a farmer, and this farmer is planting seed, and he's throwing seed out everywhere. He's just throwing this seed out. And some of the seed lands on the road, and birds come and take it and eat it. Some of the seed that's thrown lands among the rocks, and it's shallow soil, so it grows a little bit, but then it dies. Some of the seed, he said, falls among the thorns, and it starts to grow, but then eventually the thorns choke it out, and it dies. And some of the seed falls on fertile soil and returns a harvest of a hundredfold, 80-fold, exponential kind of growth. The kingdom of God is like that. And I can just imagine everybody on the shoreline going, what? What? What's that mean? Kingdom of God's like that. Who's the farmer? Who would the farmer be? I guess, you know, God? Well, if God's the farmer, why is he wasting all of that seed? Right? Like, why would God throw good seed into bad places like the road and the rocks and the thorns. Wait a minute. Maybe he's telling us that God isn't wasteful, but God is generous. Maybe it's that there isn't a limited amount of seed that has to be carefully planted in very specific little places. Maybe he's saying that there is an abundance of blessings from the kingdom of God. And God is just throwing it out there everywhere he can because it's for everyone. And maybe... Maybe, just maybe, that the stuff that landed on the road, who knows, maybe there could be a big storm and soil goes onto the road and what could have not otherwise grown now has an opportunity to grow. Maybe that rocky place, somebody comes along and moves some rocks around and now new things can grow there or those thorns, maybe somebody cut them or they died off and now what would kill plants is able to grow plants, grow crops. Maybe what he's saying is that the kingdom of God is far more generous than we even knew. 
Maybe God is spreading things everywhere to everyone to give it opportunities to take root and to grow. See, that's what a story does, right? It forces you to think about, I wonder what that means. What's that tell us about the kingdom of God? So Jesus just tells that story, right? And, uh, and then in verse 10, the disciples asked about that. So words are on the screen, 10 through 13. Here's what happened. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Right? Good question. Why do you do that? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. What? I mean, that's troubling, isn't it? Does that sound troubling to you? Like, oh, I'm, I'm telling stories because people don't get it. But you get it. And you're going to get more, and they're going to get less. Is that kind of what it sounds like? So here's the thing. I said this a couple of weeks ago. If you were here, you may recall. I said, you know, one of the things I've learned about Jesus, two things I've learned about Jesus. One, he does everything on purpose and for a purpose. And two, there is a consistency about everything that Jesus said and did. There's an integrity to everything he said and did to, connected to what he was about. So when something sounds incongruous to who Jesus is that we read in the Gospels, it should make us stop and say, I need to understand, what is this? Because it's not, this doesn't fit with what I know of Jesus, what I've read in other parts of other Gospels. It sounds like Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God, I, I want to hide it from from people, I just want a few of you to get a lot of it and then a bunch of people to get none of it. Does that sound like the one from John 3.16 who came in the name or in, uh, from God? For God so loved the what? The world. Not a sliver of the world. The world. This sounds like a sliver. So what's going on here? So the first thing is this idea of secret. In verse 11, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. The secrets of the kingdom of God. Now this word secret, which is in other translations translated mysteries, in our ears sounds like something that is unknowable, right? It's a mystery. 
It's a secret. We don't know it. You can't know it. It's hidden. It's, it's obscure and so forth. It's just not knowable. But the word in the Greek is an actually much more technical word than that. In the Greek, this word translated here secret means that to outsiders it's unknown, to insiders it's crystal clear. To outsiders it's unknown, to insiders it's crystal clear. So there was in the first century, in both Greek culture and Roman culture, these religions called mystery religions or secret religions. Both of these cultures had them. And one of the things that they had in common, these mystery religions, was they had these kind of passion plays. You've ever heard of the passion plays? Uh, in Oberammergau, Germany, they happen once every four years or something um, about the, the life and death of Jesus uh, and resurrection. Well, they were sort of like that. They were big, extravagant things, big, extravagant performances. And um, if you went to one, you would have no idea what was going on. You would be completely lost. And that was the idea. So before you went to one of those passion plays from one of these secret religions, you would first go for teaching about their religion, about their understanding of their gods. And these teachings would take months, sometimes as long as a year, to learn all of what it meant, this, how this religion understood uh, their gods and how the world worked and so forth. And so you'd go through all of this training, all this teaching, and then you would go to the play. And they would be these very intricate, very extravagant things. And in the midst of it, people would go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand that stuff that I've been learning now being presented to me, I get it. It would be sort of like somebody coming to hope on a Sunday that we were doing communion who had never, ever heard of the Christian faith in their life, right? And they just showed up here, maybe came with a friend because you invited them because that's what you do. Um, you invite your friends. So they show up and it's communion, right? And so I'm taking the bread and I'm breaking the bread and I'm saying, this is Jesus' body that's broken. Take the cup. This is Jesus' blood shed. And now we're going to eat it. And they'd be going, what? What is that about, right? And they might start to ask questions. Help me to understand that. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that require of me? Jesus said, I speak in parables so that people hearing this story are going to be intrigued enough to say, tell me more. Help me understand this kingdom of God that you're talking about. It wasn't to keep people out or that people would have less. It was to invite them in hungry for more, which is exactly what it did. But then there was this part, right, in verse 12, that next, that next part of it, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. 
again, that sounds somehow wrong, right? Except that's exactly the way life works. Think about, think about um, let me use music as an illustration, right? So Pastor Steve and I have something in common. We both play guitar. As boys, we both took lessons to learn to play the guitar, right? Pastor Steve took lessons because he wanted to use the guitar to worship God. I took lessons because I wanted to meet girls. Right? Just being honest here. And so we both, you know, we didn't know each other, but we both, you know, as boys, took lessons. We went to teachers. We learned how to read uh, chord charts. We learned how to put our fingers on the frets and how to strum the thing and, and uh, how to move, you know, across the, uh, the neck of the guitar and how to, to all of that stuff, right? We, we both learned it. After about two years... I stopped taking lessons, I stopped rehearsing, I stopped playing my guitar. And guess what? The little bit that I had learned went away. I couldn't play a G or an F now if my life depended on it. Pastor Steve continued to take lessons, continued to learn, continued to develop, continued to practice and has the skills to play that he now has. He has been given abundantly more because of the investment he made in that instrument. It's true of all kinds of disciplines, right? Same thing with a foreign language. If you start learning a foreign language, you know, if you stop practicing, if you stop using it, what happens? You lose it. Use it or lose it. The same thing happens with the teachings about the kingdom of heaven. When we invest in it, it grows, it expands, it develops a harvest. And when we ignore it, it dissipates. So then Jesus, having said that, then says, let me tell you the meaning of the parable. The seed that falls on the road is like the person whose heart is hard to the things of God, to the kingdom of God. There is no room, no interest in them at all for the things of God, and so they are like a hard surface. The seed can't penetrate, and so it's just taken away by the birds. The soil in the rocks is shallow soil. It's not very deep at all. It's shallow. And so while there's some initial growth, because there's no depth to it, it quickly dies. Do you know people like that? Who come to faith with just a little bit of interest, with just a little bit of commitment, but it doesn't last very long and very quickly they move away. Then he said, the third kind is that seed which falls among the thorns. And the thorns represent, Jesus said, both the worries of this life and the pleasures of this life. That they choke out faith. 
And again, you know people like this, I'm sure. People who have a faith that begins to grow, but then hardships come, difficulties come, struggles come. And so they, rather than leaning into God, leaning into the kingdom of God, into their faith, they walk away from their faith. Because they somehow imagine that by having faith that they should never have hardships. Or the other extreme, that things are going great. I love my job, you know, I've got money, I've got friends, I've got my health, things are great. I don't need God, I've got too much to do, I've got too many other things going on. I don't need God. And their faith dissipates. But there is that soil, that deep, rich soil, that when seed is planted on it, it just begins to grow and to thrive and creates exponential growth, abundance of blessings. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that. So here's the lesson for us. When you invest in your spiritual soil, when you pray, you're investing in your spiritual soil. When you spend time in God's word, you're investing in your spiritual soil. When you huddle up with other people to, uh, of faith in order to challenge each other and hold each other accountable and to, and to encourage each other and so forth, you're investing in your soil. When you use your God-given gifts to bring blessings into other people's lives, you are enriching your soil. And the kingdom of God is at work in you, producing a great harvest. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Let's stand for closing prayer. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us about the kingdom through these rich stories that both challenge us, force us to think differently, stick in our minds and in our memories. Lord, we want to be people of rich soil as individuals and as a community of faith. We live, Lord, in a time and in a place where our culture is soul sick. And we're seeing expressions of that in horrific kinds of ways. We want to make a difference, Lord. We want to be difference makers. And so we look to you for guidance, for direction, for strength, for courage. Help us to be your people in this time and in this place for the sake of your kingdom. And all of the honor and all of the praise and all of the glory is yours, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week.